Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. And for more information, you can visit us at gobethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. Six of the Beatitudes. Uh, uh, we'll read them again. Uh, first three found in Matthew 5, 3 through 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we saw how this is, we admit that on our own, our lives are unmanageable. We need him. We mourn over our condition, humble ourselves, ask for his help. We lean on the strength that only comes from him. And then in our book that we're doing, Life's Healing Choices, uh, we kind of have a different order. The fourth beatitude is in Matthew 5 and 8, which says, Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. So this is being real, authentic, not fake. And being single-minded with an undivided heart, a singularity of devotion. And then the fifth one is found back in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We eat to live. We eat to live. We live to eat. We eat to live. And, uh, you know, that's uh, something you really discover when you're fasting. You live to eat. You eat to live. And we're triggered to eat by hunger. And Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So this is a spiritual dissatisfaction and discomfort because we need righteousness like we need food to sustain us spiritually. And then the sixth one, verse 9, blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. And this is we show mercy, we obtain mercy, and we looked at what all of that meant. We looked at David and what an example of what it means to have mercy, and then the seventh beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, uh, they shall be called the sons of God, so that's seven beatitudes there, peacemakers, one way that you can be a peacemaker is by spreading the gospel, it's called the gospel of peace, reconciliation between God and man, but you can also be a peacemaker when you're in the middle of a conflict, whether you're the injured or the injurer, and you can make the decision to make peace. And it says that those who are the peacemakers, they'll be called the sons of God because you're never more like the Father than when you are making peace. And Spurgeon said this of that, and I'll conclude our review with this. And he sometimes putteth himself between the two when they are very angry and taketh the blows from both sides. For he knows that so Jesus did, who took the blows from his Father and from us also, that so by suffering in our stead, peace might be made between God and man. And then tonight, we're looking at the eighth and the final beatitude. It's found in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he adds to that somewhat, but that is the, the bottom line. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake, for righteousness' sake. So it's not for their own stupidity, because you can be persecuted for being dumb, right? You drive dumb, and fellow drivers are going to persecute you. Or maybe someone else drives dumb, and you become the persecutor, right? You decide to persecute them because they pulled out in front of you or whatever. 
So it's not being persecuted because of your own dumbness, but it's for my sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he would go on and say, for my sake. Peter seems to quote from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You know, he was there. Peter was. And so in 1 Peter 4, 1 Peter 4, starting with verse 12, it's like he's quoting. He's remembering. Of course, the Holy Spirit is inspiring him. But check this out. Starting with verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, Blessed are you, sounds like the Beatitudes, right? For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, say that's dumb. A thief, say that's dumb. An evildoer, that's dumb. Or as a busybody in other people's matters. Say, that's dumb. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God... Commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is talking about suffering for righteousness sake. Suffering for his sake. For doing the will of God. For doing good. So not only uh, is it reflective, uh, this, this idea of you're suffering for doing good. It's reflective of the other seven Beatitudes. But notice, doing good looks like this in the body of Christ. This is what I'm going to say, the, what I'm trying to say. Not only does this suffer for righteousness sake, meaning a reflection on the other Beatitudes, like, like uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, like that is when you are having that kind of attitude, like my life is unmanageable on my own, then some people will give you a hard time about that. That's persecution for doing the right thing. So those other Beatitudes, you can be persecuted for living with those attitudes in your life. But it says that suffering for doing the will of God. Let me give you an example of what else that can look like. Are you with me? I didn't lose you in that, right, because I almost lost myself. But I retract and I got myself back. So I had a note error, and so I fixed it. But So check this out. Acts 10, 38, 39. So let me read this back in, in Peter. You don't have to go there, Thomas. But it says, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. So there's this persecution for doing good, Acts 10, 
38. This is Peter preaching, and he says this. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. I would say being killed by being hung on a tree is persecution, wouldn't you? So Jesus was doing good, and yet he was persecuted. So having said that, the world persecuted Jesus. They persecuted the twelve, and they'll persecute everyone who looks like Jesus and acts like Jesus and the twelve today. So when you are living your life by those beatitudes, those eight Beatitudes or seven other Beatitudes, then you'll get some kickback. You'll get some pushback from the world because the world does not value those attitudes, those ways of living as we've looked at. The, the world doesn't value those, and the world does not value the way Jesus lived or the way the 12 lived. We're not above our master. We're not above the original ones who fleshed it out in the early church. Who are we to think that we won't suffer as well? And so, listen to this from some other words of Jesus. Jesus sends out the twelve. This is the first time he sent out the twelve. Because he didn't just send the twelve out after the day of Pentecost was fully come. He sent the twelve out early in his ministry. So, God anointed Jesus. And then, the anointing got over on the twelve. And Jesus sent them. You guys go. They were apostles. That means sent ones. They were sent out. The disciples are becoming apostles. He sends out the 12. Later, he sends out 72 others. So he's, he's sending out people in his ministry to do what he anointed them to do and what he was anointed to do. It was a prototype of what the church would be. And so here you have Jesus sends out the 12. These 12 Jesus sent out. This is Matthew 10, starting with verse 5. Matthew 10, starting with verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Don't go into the way of the Gentiles. Don't go into the city of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost house, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. Forget about gold and silver. Don't have any copper in your belts. No bag for your money. Uh, for your journey, no two tunics, no sandals. They gives them these instructions. But whatever town you go in, just go. And go into a household greeted. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. It goes on just like, you're going to find the people that will take care of you. And if they won't, if the city won't receive you, then you leave, you shake the dust off your feet. It'd be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for that city. But notice this, verse 16. Behold, Jesus says to them, I'm sending you out. Like he had been sent out as a sheep in the midst of wolves. I mean, how exciting is that, right? A sheep in the midst of wolves. I mean, have you seen the physical comparison between wolves and sheep? You know, sheep, they're just nibbling on the grass. And, and sheep follow other sheep. And it's not like there's an alpha sheep, really. I did some studies on this. 
even an alpha sheep is really not an alpha sheep. It's not. They're just dumb. One of them gets a hankering to go this direction, and they just all follow him. He could be the dumbest sheep of them all, and they'll just all follow. So these dumb sheep, he said, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. Now, to me, wolves come across, they move in packs, they hunt in packs, they're smart, they're alphas in the midst. I mean, they know what they're doing. They're wily. So he's like, I'm sending you out as sheep, you know, amongst wolves. Therefore, be wise as snakes and harmless as doves. I mean, don't be as dumb as the sheep, but I'm sending you out there like that. But beware of men. Listen to that. Like, pay attention to this. Beware of men, for they will deliver you. And some of you ladies are like, I knew it. No, it's not what it means. Stop it. I felt that in my spirit. Stop it. Not a man-hating verse. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you, beat you to death in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, don't worry about how or what you'll speak. It'll be given you in that hour what to speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father is child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. I, I'm reading a book right now on, again, sometimes I go through these obsessions with World War II, and this one is really uh, amazing, and it's, it's about uh, some traitors that just, just brother betraying brother. It's just miserable. Informing the Gestapo on, you know, when somebody speaks evil of Hitler. And they would say, hey, this guy's talking bad about it. And they would, they, they had it. Do you know Nazi Germany used the guillotine more than France? It's unbelievable. They would, they would behead these people just, just like that. It was crazy. So here you have this idea. Children rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, he that endures to the end shall be saved. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house be his above, how much more will they call those of his household? And then he goes on, he says, don't fear, you know, don't, don't fear the one that can destroy the body, but the body and the soul. He said in verse 34, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, that's not how we see Jesus, you know. Then he talks about rewards. Here, here's the idea. The character traits described in Beatitudes are not valued by modernity, by modern culture. But we don't, you know, that's not def what defines us. You know, culture is not saying, uh, let's have a contest, you know, on America's Got Talent, who is the most pure in heart, you know? Who is the most poor in spirit, American Idol? Wouldn't it be funny to, to, on American Idol to, you know, the most poor in spirit? Uh, our culture doesn't think much of these character traits, but these are the character traits of the kingdom of God. They are noticed by heaven, 
And when you live them out, there's a certain amount of persecution that is guaranteed to come your way. G. Campbell Morgan says this. The king adds an eighth beatitude, and that a double one, for those who, because of their loyalty, endure suffering. Because he went on and said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. Say all, listen to this, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Insults. Spoken words of hate, lies told on you are part of what it means to be persecuted. It's not just martyrdom, laying your life down, but when they revile you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. So we cannot and we should not limit our idea of persecution to only physical opposition. So in Matthew 5, you have these folks that are persecuted for righteousness sake. Matthew 5, 11, verse 10, righteousness sake, 11, my sake, Jesus' sake. So we see that as we live by these beatitudes, we are honoring Jesus. We are honoring him. And so... Uh, it didn't take long for the early believers to have enemies say all kinds of evil against them falsely for Jesus' sake. Christians in the first century were accused of cannibalism because of the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body, this is my blood. So they were lied against and said that they're cannibals, they're eating Human flesh, because of the Lord's Supper. They were accused of immorality because they had what they call love feasts, agape feasts. And they're like, well, you know what goes on there. They were accused of inciting insurrection and revolution because that they believed in an apocalyptic end time where Jesus would come and take over. They were accused of splitting families because when a spouse or a family member converted, often that is what happened. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And so they were accused of, you know, breaking up families when really they were just falling in love with Jesus and there was a separation because there's always a separation when you do that. They were accused of treason because they would not honor Roman gods nor would they worship the emperor, which was required. And Jesus said, when they do this, when they accuse you of these things, and when they lie on you, when they, when they say all manner of evil against you falsely, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Literally, this is translated, when you're persecuted, leap for joy. What? Like, leap for joy. Leap, you know, like you're getting beat. Leap for joy. They're lying on you. Leap for joy. Hey, that might not be a bad idea when somebody's lying on you because of your walk with God, because of your humble attitude, because you've adopted this way of life. Leap for joy when they're lying on you. Leap for joy because your reward is great in heaven. That's what he said. And you're in good company. They persecuted Jesus 
They persecuted the prophets. They persecuted the twelve. That, that word, leap for joy, one writer, F.F. F. Bruce, says it's a strong word that comes from Hellenistic coinage. And it, it's, it's, uh, it signifies the joy of an alpine climber on the top of a snow-clad mountain. I finally reached the summit. Boom! They're lying on me, right? They're, they're persecuting me. And they're, historically, we have records, and I'm coming to a close on this. Trap names some of them. Uh, he's a theologian that we've looked at through this study. And he says, rejoice and, and be exceedingly glad. Here's one guy. George Roper came to the stake where he would be burned. And he, he grabbed a hold of it. They were going to tie him onto it. And he grabbed a hold of it and hugged it in a sense. Like a, like a friend. Because he considered it joy to fall into diverse temptations and persecutions, as Peter said. Another guy named Taylor danced and leapt historically as he came to his own execution, saying when asked how he was, he said, well, God be praised, good master sheriff, never better, for now I am almost home, I am even at my father's house. Lawrence Saunders, who with a smiling face embraced the stake of his execution and said, welcome the cross of Christ, welcome everlasting life. So the world persecutes and doesn't know what to do with an individual that is living according to kingdom principles and suffering in spite of it with joy and with a smile on their face. So there you go, Valerie. I would like to introduce the one and only First Lady of Bethesda Church. Her name is Valerie Hill, a.k.a. Queen V. All right, so uh, if you guys are following along in the book, Life's Healing Choices, you may have noticed in Chapter 7 there is not a beatitude. And so um, Donovan uh, just covered... There we go. Uh, the last beatitude, which is chapter 8. So tonight is actually the last night of our book study because I'm going to review chapter 7, which is uh, longer than chapter 8, and I'll just briefly wrap up with that. And um, uh, this has been great. This is a, this is a powerful book. Uh, I hope you're reading through it. I hope you got the study guide that goes with it. Uh, it's an awesome book. So chapter 7 is the growth choice. Only God has the power to take away and to keep away your old hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Only God can do it. Uh, in this uh, chapter, we focus on helping to maintain momentum. Here's a fact, though. Growth is not smooth. The road to healing is bumpy. Some days it's, it's two steps forward and one step back. Growth is not a smooth thing. I remember, okay, so like Paddington was just, you know, a medium-sized puppy. And I know, you, I know you love it, Paddington stories. 
he was just a medium-sized puppy. You know who Paddington is? That's my dog. And he is Lemon's half-brother. You know who Lemon is. Looks just alike, except, you know, he's a boy. And so uh, uh, all of a sudden, you know, um, I noticed he was laying by the chair, which, you know, if you know Lemon, you know, he don't, they don't just lay by the chair. Uh, come to find out, he couldn't walk. He could not walk, and I thought, Shana has lied to me. Melissa Baker has lied to me. I have been taken. I bought a, a you know, substandard dog. And so um, I scooped that thing up, and I take it to the vet, and she said, this is common. It's growing pains. And it's kind of a growing pain mixed with a little bit of this virus thing, and it gets in their joints, and uh, it's just because he's just growing so fast. Uh, and it should last only two or three days, and sure enough, after two days, it was gone. Uh, but, uh, you know, growing, uh, it's not easy, right? There's, it's not always smooth. Just because you read this book, just because you've just enjoyed me summarizing, like Karen, Karen has just so enjoyed me going through. <laughs> I told her I was going to call her out tonight, and I just did. <laughs> she loves it when I do that. <laughs> just because you read the book, just because you listened to me summarize, uh, yeah, that doesn't mean we've all, just because I summarized it, that doesn't mean I have it all together. That doesn't mean that here we've all arrived. Right? If we don't keep on our guard, any one of us can fall back into self-defeating patterns. This is uh, what we call uh, relapse. Everybody say relapse. That's what chapter 7 is about. The alcoholic starts to drink again. The gambler starts attending concerts at the casino. The workaholic fills up the calendar again. And here you are. It's funny how we all, like we all have a tendency at times to look back at parts of the past and kind of make it rosier than it really was. We all kind of have a tendency, even though our patterns got us into the hurt, habit, and hang-up we ended up in, we all, it, we just fall back into it. It's like the chemicals in our brain. It's like I said, there are chemicals in your brain, and they flow a certain way. And they have, flown, they have flowed that way so long, it's like a river. And when you try to create a new habit, a new thought process, you're, it's like you get out a shovel, and you go up to the Mississippi, and you say, okay, I'm going to start a new river right here. It's hard. You're, you're literally trying to create a new chemical pathway in your brain, and it takes time. It takes diligence. It's not easy. And so in this chapter, we begin to understand relapse, and uh, we briefly look at its patterns and cause. And so we learn how to prevent relapse. So... The pattern for relapse is the same. It breaks down to four, four points. Number one, complacency. I'm talking about relapse. I'm talking about you've made some progress, right? But now 
something starts to go wrong. And where do, it starts with complacency. The, the, the thing is, it act, relapse actually starts with a good feeling. A feeling of semi-accomplishment. Isn't that just like the devil? I mean, it starts with a good feeling. Hey, I've made some progress. Feeling a little more comfortable. My pain level, let me think about it. Doesn't hurt as, it still hurts some, but it doesn't hurt as bad as it used to. Yeah, my pain level's down. Uh, so, we don't pray like we used to. We start missing those support group meetings. We're doing a bit better. You don't reach out. You don't make yourself as accountable as you did. Right? Because you're doing better. And so there you are, kind of feeling good. So then, uh, number two, they call it confusion. It's more like rationalization. You start to rationalize some things. You know what? Look how far I've come. I wasn't doing as bad as Julie. I mean, I'm bad, but I ain't that bad. You, that Miss Cynthia. <laughs> you know, like you start kind of rationalizing. I don't need as much help as Karen. <laughs> right? I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. <laughs> I tickle myself when I say that. <laughs> anyway, you start rationalizing, and so basically we deceive ourselves into thinking we have a greater level of control, and that's the thing. I trick myself, and I become deceived when I start thinking, hey, I've, I have attained a certain level of control. It's me. I did it. I did it. That's why I don't need my accountability partner as much. That's why I don't need to submit like I was. That's why I don't need to attend meetings. That's why I don't need to stay away from that person or that scene. That's why I could handle being a little closer to temptation because I've got it under control better than I. You know what I mean? I'm feeling better. So then number three is compromise. And this is when we go back to that place of temptation. This is where, and I love, I love like to say, I'm going to the bar, but just, just for the peanuts. Right? This is when you go back to temptation. You return to some risky behavior. Um, you know, I'm going to the casino, but it's just for the show. It's a time of poor choices. Right? And then that sets the stage for number four, catastrophe. This is when you actually give in to the hurt, the habit, the hang-up. And there you are. There you are back in the same pig pen that you were in. Those feelings of resentment, of unforgiveness, of hurt, neglect, whatever feeling or emotion, whatever it was that got you addicted or hung up on something in the first place, it all comes back because it's a package deal. It's a package deal. It comes all gift wrapped together is what it does. Uh, so understand this, though. This is very important. 
The catastrophe is not the beginning of the relapse. The relapse began at phase one, complacency, when you felt good. That's where it started. Catastrophe is the end result. So why do we fall back? What is the cause of relapse? Well, number one, we revert back. Let's look at the complacency attitude. We revert back to the concept of willpower, right? Galatians 3.3 in the NIV. Are you so foolish? This is Paul writing to church people. Say church people. Okay, so remember the golden rule of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the same story, the story of Jesus. Acts is where they all went to get saved. Romans through Revelation is where they went to see how to stay saved. That's why you can't go to Romans to see there's no Roman road to salvation. See, they didn't get saved in Romans. They got saved in Acts. They joined the church in Rome, right? And so this is Paul writing to Galatians. People that got saved back in Acts. These are saved people. And he's having to say, are you foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So in common language, in life's healing choices language today, that would be like the Lord saying to us, are you so foolish? Don't you see that in choice number one, you admitted that you were powerless. You admitted it. In choice number two, you agreed that only God could change you. And then in choice number three, you committed your life to God. In choice number four, you confessed your faults. You examined the fact that you need help. In number five, choice number five, you submitted to God's word and his plan for change in your life. And in number six, choice six, you agreed to offer forgiveness and to ask for forgiveness wherever possible to make amends. When we veer off this plan, we are reverting. Any part of this plan, we are reverting back to our own way of doing things and not God's way. The relapse is imminent. So, the second thing is we ignore one of these choices I just went through. Well, why? Well, you know, some of them are, let's just say it, hard. Right? Those are hard choices. Maybe number two, like we, we just want to hurry and work through this one and we think we can bypass. Well, the whole choice was to do this, this, and this. I'll take this and leave this and that. Right? But remember, you didn't get addicted. You didn't get offended. You didn't get hung up overnight. And so it's, there's no quick fix. And, and that's okay. It doesn't make you less of a Christian or a bad believer if it takes you a while to get unstuck from what took you years to get stuck in in the first place. There were things after we got the Holy Ghost 
we're instantly delivered from. But then there are other things we work through, right? And it kind of goes back, uh, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, in the, when, when they took, when the, when the children of Israel took the promised land, there were some things that were instantly given to them. Vineyards they didn't plant. They're eating that fruit. All homes they didn't build. They're living in them. But there were other things they had to fight for and to kick these four. Get get rid of those Canaanites. Get rid of those Ammonites. Come on now. You're going to have to keep fighting for some things. And it's the same way with us. So number three, uh, another reason for relapse, we try to recover without support. When you start thinking you don't need accountability, you're asking for relapse. God's word tells us why having an accountability partner is so important. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 11. Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person fails, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Aren't you thankful for the body of Christ? Aren't you thankful for your fellow believers? Hey, it didn't say, it said two people are better than one. It didn't say two perfect people. Two people, one person doesn't have it together, but the other has it totally together. It just says two people are better than one. Don't neglect this powerful resource. So, so here's a question. When you are tempted with whatever you're tempted with, so because everyone is, let's just, let's just work on that right now. Everyone in this room <laughs> is tempted with something. When you're tempted, who can you call? Who can you talk to? Who can you confide in? Who can you trust? Besides God. If you don't have someone to reach out to, that's going to hinder your progress for spiritual growth. It just is. Uh, oh, man, I missed that Bible verse. No, I got it somewhere else. Uh, number four, we become prideful. We get overconfident. Pride always comes before a fall. It also blinds us to our own weaknesses. It prevents us from making real amends. You can't really be sorry for doing Kevin wrong if you think you're better than him. If you have pride in your heart, if you're looking down on him, you can't really forgive him. You can't really love him like you're, suppo- like you're commanded to. And that's not just directed towards you, Andrea. That's the whole class. Um, I'm just so happy this is my last night. Um, The biggest problem with pride, and this is your test, this is your litmus test. Test yourself to see if you have a problem with pride. This is it. This is like the thermometer, okay? The the one my batteries are always dead in. Um, Are you in a habit? When you think of one of your own faults, do you have a habit of kind of blaming other, someone else for it? Like, you know, oh, man, 
I hate it. I hate that I did that. But you know what? I wouldn't have done it if it weren't for so and so. You know, God, if they wouldn't have called, like, if if any time you think of one of your faults and someone else is attached to it, and that's kind of a habit you've fallen into, you got a problem with pride. You see what I mean? That's that's a little test. You can test yourself. Uh, so, what is the secret? To lasting recovery. Here's one, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Everybody say, go to church. Every time the doors are open. As some are in the habit of doing, Some of the people that should have been reading Hebrews, they gave up. They they got out of the habit. It was just a habit. They quit. They just gave up the habit of meeting. But encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And here's one thing we know. The day approaching. Is closer, it's a lot closer now than it was when they wrote this letter to the Hebrews, isn't it? So, this is the pattern of relapse, but how can we prevent relapse? The key to preventing relapse is found in choice number seven associated with this chapter. And here's a quote from the chapter Reserve a daily quiet time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God, to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. That's every day. That's every day. It's human nature to go back in your mind and relive the past And this is what prevents the relapse, right? Uh, This book recommends three new habits. Number one, evaluation. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Lamentation 3.40. Let's take a good look at the way we're living and reorder our lives under God. So the book gives, uh, I took a picture of it. It gives a good test to you. How can you examine yourself? Here's Here's a nice tool, heart. So if you're tempted If you're about to lose it, if you're on the edge, you can take heart. You can test yourself. Am I hurting? How am I hurting? Am I hurting physically? Where? Am I hurting emotionally? Why? Examine yourself. Am I hurting? E, am I exhausted? You could just be tired. Because when you get tired, you know what I mean? Like all your guard, your guard kind of goes down when you're exhausted. Am I angry? Do I resent anybody? Am I tense? Find out the cause 
And when you address that, you'll be able to overcome. That will help you overcome the temptation. Number two, meditation. Now listen, this is one of those words. This is this is the word like like the rainbow is like it's like the world has taken some things and just twisted it. It's like the church we just they just stole it and made it something like totally totally the rainbow. That's about the flood. Right? Meditation. Okay, that's a Bible word. That goes all the way back to the book of Psalm. And so meditation, okay, get this. This will help. The opposite of meditation is worry. Worry is when when you worry, you take a negative thought and you think it over and over. You ponder, what if, here's a negative thought. What if it goes this way? Well, and that's bad. Or it could go this way. Oh, and that'll be bad too. And then it could go this way, and that's bad. All the bad things that can happen, right? That's worry. It is the opposite of godly meditation. Godly meditation is taking not just a positive thought. That's part of it. But some Bible, some word that goes with that positive thought that backs it up, right? And thinking on it and thinking on it and praying it and confessing and believing and letting your, like, here's a word. Here's a positive thought. What could God do through me with this positive thought? You see what I mean? And so meditation will help us overcome relapse, Uh, which brings me to the third habit, and that's prayer. And prayer is, listen, let's just not make it harder than it has to be. It's talking to the Lord. You know how, remember how earlier in the book it said, sometimes, you know, if you're having a problem, pretend they're sitting in that chair and just talk to them, right? Put God in a chair and talk to him. Just talk to him. He's your best friend. He, he is your best friend. He knows you. Just talk to him. However, whatever prayer is for you, do it. Talk to him. And not don't just talk. Allow some quiet time to listen in your spirit. Listen to what he's listen to what he has to say to you in your heart. You'll feel some direction. You'll feel some encouragement. And that's the Lord speaking to you, right? Jesus said in uh, Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray. So watch and pray. Why? So you won't fall into temptation. The spirit, and that's not his spirit, that's your spirit, is so willing. (laughs) We know that. But the flesh is weak, right? So as I said, there were no Beatitudes connected to chapter 7. Uh, but there is for chapter 8, and Donovan touched on it, Matthew 5, 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil, because there can be times when there's some true evil to be said about you. Yeah, 
so you want to make sure it's there, there's <laughs> there's no good reason to say anything evil about you, right? Chapter 8 is the sharing choice where we determine to yield ourselves to God to be used by him to bring the good news to others. Hey, by my example and my words, because if my example is not godly, why, why would you want to hear my words? You, you know what I mean? Isn't that the worst? Someone who is just wretched trying to tell you how to live for God? Like, who wants that? Nobody. So it's where my actions and my words share the good news. Uh, now, here's the practical side of this verse. You can't be persecuted for him if you never speak up about him. If your actions and words never speak to others of how he's changed your life, you're not a part of this beatitude. You see what I'm saying? Like at some point, you got to speak up. At some point, you will be called on to speak up. So how can you use the pain that you have experienced and the victories God brought to you to help others. Listen, it's not always, it's not, I'm not talking about beating someone over the head with Bible verses. How about just looking for ways to share the good things the Lord has done for you? You, you know what I mean? How about that? Uh, God has a mission for you. It's called the Great Commission. That's for, that's for believers. So if you believe, your mission is found in Matthew 28, 19. The, he said this to believers. Therefore go, make disciples. That's disciplined ones. And so I can't, I can't make a disciple if I'm not disciplined myself, right? Go, all nations, baptizing them, name of the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, Teaching them to obey everything I, Jesus, commanded you, right? Go and make disciples. Becoming a part of God's great plan to reach the lost is a vital key to staying free from hurts, habits, and hang-ups. It's the law of sowing and reaping. It's a law, like the gravity that's holding your rear end of that chair. It's a law. Sowing and reaping. You want to stay free? You better share the good news of what God has done with you on a regular basis to others. Every day pray, Lord, how can I be a light to someone today? Use that every day. Lord, let me be a light to someone today. I'm looking, my, my spirit is open to encouraging someone for you today. Many times. That is going to, and listen, don't worry. If you don't have the Bible memorized, share your story. Read the word, share your story. And it's all going to flow out just like it's supposed to. So, uh, 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Revere Christ as Lord. How? 
always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the what? Hope that you have. You can't share hope if you don't have hope. So get some hope in you. Meditate on his word. Meditate on how he brought you out, what he has done for you. If he's brought you this far, he can take you the rest of the way. But do this, listen, and Peter's saying, this is how we're, how are we supposed to treat lost people with gentleness and respect, right? It's not our job to tell them off and set them straight. It's to treat them with gentleness and respect. God has a mission. It is the Great Commission, becoming a part of God's plan, right, to reach the lost. So, um... Think about this, and this is really awesome. Chapter 8 encourages you literally, write out your testimony. Write it out. Write out parts of your testimony and meditate. Make that part of your meditation sometime. How the Lord saved you. Make that part and um, kind of, you know, because you might be a little nervous. Like, what would I say? Well, if you've kind of journaled it out and you've meditated on it, it's going to be easier for you to verbalize, and God's going to... God's going to make a way. He's going to give you those opportunities really on a regular basis. Uh, so what is the good news? Well, in a one-on-one -on -one basis, it's whatever that person needs from the Lord right then. And God's going to use you and your story of how you were delivered to share that, to help someone else. Can you imagine, try to imagine Listen, this life is so short. This just weirds me out all the time, and I'm done. Uh, you guys can go ahead and come. The Bible compares your life to a blade of grass and everything, all of your work, to like a flower that blooms and then it dies away. Did you notice how they've tripled the prices of the flowers at the store right now? That just irritates me so bad. Uh, your whole life, all your work, though, like all your work. I worked all day. I worked my rear end off today. And to think, the Bible says it's nothing but like a little flower that blooms and then it's gone. But your soul is going to live forever, forever and ever and ever, either in heaven or hell. That's it. No in between. Can you imagine being in heaven and someone saying, I'm in heaven today. I'm not in hell. Because when you shared your story, I found my own hope. I found my way to the Lord. And it started, can you imagine? That is going to be. That is going to be. Isn't that powerful to think about? You're just thinking, man, who wants to hear my story? Who? But how you overcame, when you share it, it's going to inspire someone else to overcome. And who knows that it won't be your story that leads them to salvation. Saved from what? Saved from an eternity in hell. Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.